The following content is for mature audiences only and may be seen as graphic and is not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Infertile Millennial. Today, we are focusing on fathers. Father's Day just came and went. Special guest Mike Collins is sitting down with us and sharing his point of view and experience after struggling with four consecutive miscarriages with wife Angela. If Angela's name sounds familiar, that's because she bravely sat down with us last month just before Mother's Day to speak on her traumatic miscarriages and also how Mother's Day has impacted her. So Mike is also going to be sitting down and speaking on how Father's Day has impacted him as well. If you haven't heard Angela's story, I strongly recommend going back and listening to it. And just to catch you up to speed, here is a quick snippet of Angela's interview. But again, you can listen to the entire thing if you head over to episode 9. I just remember being taken back to a room, getting changed in a gown, and I said I have to use the restroom again. And I walked over to the restroom, and um, unfortunately, I passed the baby uh, in the restroom at the emergency room. The hard part about that was that the door was so far away and I had locked it. And so I was basically screaming for my husband. And I was like, Mike, I said, the baby passed through. I don't want you to see this, but I need you to grab like security or somebody to unlock the door. So there's a quick snippet of her interview. If you want to see the full story, make sure to go back and listen to episode nine. I strongly recommend listening to her story and his story. It's a really wonderful way to get the point of view from the mother and the father when it comes to traumatic loss. In just a moment, we're going to hear from her husband, Mike, after this quick message. Are you or someone you know struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss? Shop Infertile Millennial is a dedicated gift shop to show your support, send a little sunshine, remind yourself of the warrior in you, or offer some encouragement to someone you know. Plus, we've just launched our new warrior candle, handcrafted in Los Angeles and made with 100% soy wax. Shop the warrior candle and more at infertilemillennial.com shop. So thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share your point of view on such an important topic. Um, could you maybe start by telling us about you and Angela? Yeah, sure. Um, I can go um, a little bit into me, um, what I do, all that type of thing. Um, when I was younger, I was an, I'm an only child. I don't have brothers or sisters. So between the two of us, between Angela and I, we actually grew up in different ways because she has a brother and I didn't have that. So when we came together, we're almost a perfect dichotomy of each other. I'm more social and outgoing and she is a little more reserved, hold back for a second and then I'll interact with people uh, after she studies and sees, you know, can I get along with them, I guess you could say. Um, so really we're the epitome of opposites attract. We balance each other really well um in those ways and i think that's why we're probably going to be, be together until we you know till till death do us part i guess you could say um and then as far as uh you know we met in uh, 2005 in high school um and we i actually needed a date for a dance for homecoming i think it was and i i, I don't remember if i had asked a bunch of people or whatnot but there was a person sitting in front of me and i had asked her and she said, well, I have a friend. And I said, okay, well, cool, let's go. And we met at the mall, I believe, and we just went on from there. We've been together ever since 2005. That's nice. It's so funny. I feel like a lot of people that I've interviewed about this topic, they all have seemed to been, be together for a very long time, which is really nice to see. And I feel like it's really helpful to have such a strong foundation, especially having to go through things like this. Um, did you know that you always wanted to have kids or was it not really something that was on your mind? No, I definitely wanted to have kids because I'm a very um, family-focused person 
and I know I know in my heart that I'll if when if and when that time comes I'll be a good dad I really look forward to it and I knew that I wanted my family to keep growing and whatnot being an only child it kind of worries me that my family genetic line would end with me and I want to keep that going not to say that you know if we adopted or something later down the road that we wouldn't love the child the same as if you know it was our genetic child that's not where I'm going but uh more just I would be uh my genetic line would be ending at that point and that's kind of sad and it's kind of scary and you know but you can't really control it you just have to roll with the punches and stay positive and be happy. I think that's really understandable. I feel like a lot of people just feel that way because that's what we, it was basically embedded in our brains for thousands of years to like procreate. And so that's totally understandable. Um, Do you remember how you found out that you were going to be a dad for the first time? Because from my memory, you guys actually got pregnant pretty quickly when you, after starting to try. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she she would remember a little bit more than me. I actually asked her last night about that um, because I, I couldn't remember exactly what at what stage we did what thing. <laughs> um, but I actually remember she had done a test. We were still living with her parents, and she had done a test at home, and I came upstairs in the bedroom unsuspecting of anything, really. And she's like, um... So here's this, and I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't really have a have a reaction to it because it just it was out of the blue. I guess in that case, it caught me off guard, so I wasn't able to go. Oh boy, that's so exciting! It was kind of like, okay, so now what do we do? What's the next step? What do we need to, you know, focus on? And that's always kind of been my thing. I'm a very like methodical, like, okay, what's next? Okay, there's this now. What's the next thing? you know, instead of taking it all in, in the moment. And, you know, she was a little flustered by that, of course, because I wasn't super enthused at the moment. But, you know, looking back on it, it definitely caught me off guard for sure. Yeah. So as people who have possibly listened to Angela's episode know, unfortunately, that pregnancy did end in miscarriage. Can you remember what it was like for you to find out that she was going to miscarry for the first time as her partner? Um, it's really an interesting thing um, because I didn't know what what was really going on. We had just taken pictures. We had just, you know, gotten into the, okay, we have a bump. We have, we're taking these pictures and we're sh- going to show people and we just got home from doing that and it started to happen in the car and I'm you know my 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 dad's a um, firefighter so my brain goes right into okay steps what's next what I need to do I learned that from him and so I thought okay you need to get in the other seat we'll clean off my side let's let's get to the hospital you know I didn't even think call the ambulance I didn't think any of that I just thought I need to get you to the place to get help because I don't know I can't I can't do anything for you. And if that's what's going on, we need to go somewhere where professionals are. Um, So I didn't really have feeling in that moment. It was just focus on her health and being safe. And yeah, I might have driven a little fast that day (laughs) and really scared scared the two of us. But, you know, I I was focused on getting there and being safe. Um, The emotions more hit once we got to the hospital and the doctor... Uh, came in and confirmed that and and uh, told us and I sat I went out in the hallway and just sat and cried um, you know kind of by myself and the nurse came out and talked to me and she said you know it's just so terrible that this happens to good people like you guys and there's other folks that have so many children one after the other and they're not trying to be a positive influence on their kids in these other you know situations and whatnot and but you guys have to suffer through this and she she was really um comforting in that time because that was really nice to hear i think it's really nice that um especially with your first experience with the miscarriage that you had doctors and nursing staff who were so sympathetic towards you guys because i've heard many other people who basically just get told oh it happens a lot you guys can try again instead of brushing you guys off it seems as though 
you guys were comforted at a time when you really needed it, which I think is so important in situations like that. I know sometimes doctors have to be very just like to the point, but it is nice when you find someone who truly does care about what you're going through. So I think it's great that that was your first experience with that. Not that going through a miscarriage is great, but the comfort that you guys got from it. Yeah, and, um, and it was nice to have that, like you were saying, because sometimes you do get that, oh, well, you know, you're 26, 27, eh, you, you still got time, you know, you, you can try again. Well, yes, I can. I, I, you know, we fully understand that's obvious that we can try again. Um, but that's not what I need to hear now. Maybe give me a year and then you can, you know, say that same thing. But in that moment or the, you know, grieving, you know, however long that may be, realistically, it's not something you need to hear at that time. It's not helpful. What would you like others to know about what it's like for the husband to go through a miscarriage? Um, well, I, as a broader perspective, pregnancy as a whole is a completely new thing to most guys, even if you're trying to get there. Um, and that's where a lot of uh, pregnancy books and um, what to expect when you're expecting, they don't really go into that type of information of what does the guy do? You know, what what do we cover? There might be a little snippet or a chapter or something, but there's not a whole lot about that. And I, f I feel like that could be a failure of uh, either men in the field writing about it um, or or just not a thought because, the, because, you know, for good reason, the woman is doing all of it and we're just kind of an accessory at that point. <laughs> um, but when it comes to the, the whole situation, pregnancy and miscarriage, it's definitely a tough thing because you're trying to make sure that she's medically safe and okay, but you're also having to make sure she's mentally safe and okay. And that's a very hard thing to balance, um, for, you know, for sure. And then you got yourself, you know, you're, you're balancing three things. She wants, you know, cookies and chips because she's craving that. And then, you know, you're like, well, but is that really good for the baby? And if you say that, well, she's going to be mad. You know, you're just <laughs> constantly back and forth arguing back and forth with yourself. Uh, but miscarriage is a whole different um, bag of worms because it's, it's very um, raw for sure in that moment because you can do nothing. There's, if it's happening, it's happening. There is no stopping it. And it's very hard to, to know that you're helpless and essentially useless at that point. You cannot do anything. You, the best you can do is get them to a safe place or get your wife to a safe place and let somebody else do it. And you just, you just handle what you can, you know, handle your emotion or contacting family or whatever, if you had told people. Yeah, I could imagine, you know, like I can totally understand your point of view and things because it's almost like you have to be the one who is a little bit more steady during that time to be able to, you know, make all of those calls and tell people like the bad news. And that I can't imagine is very easy. No, it definitely is not. And it's, it's tough because you have to be mentally strong for her uh, while she's going through that, you know, it's okay. You're going to be fine. You know, well, you know, in reality, you're not, <laughs> You know, but you have to say those things to be comforting and, and try and help whatever, however way you can. Um, and then, you know, at that same time, none of that same feeling, it, this this almost feels selfish to me in a way, or, or I don't really know how to put it, I guess. it None of that same feeling is coming back to to me, not from her, but just in general. The, the worry and focus is a lot on her and you know is she doing okay how is she feeling and there's nothing about well how are you feeling how are you handling this you know she is feeling depressed now because of the loss how are how are you feeling and how are you able to help her do you need anything from me you know it's just everything focused on her but like i said it kind of feels selfish to say and i don't i don't know how to explain what I feel in that in that moment. I think what you're saying, though, makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, you know, if, if that's how you're feeling, then that's truly what your feelings are, you know. And I'm sure I asked this later on in, in the questions I sent you, but do you feel like no one really 
checked in on you after the losses? Like maybe you didn't get quite the same support that maybe she did? Or do you feel it was pretty equal? Um, for, a, yeah, I would say it was sort of, sort of equal, but a lot more was focused on her because she went through it physically and mentally. Whereas I only had the the mental side of things. Um, no one, not often did I get the questions from people that I talked about it with of, you know, how are you? Um, are you doing okay? Do you need to talk? There wasn't much, you know, every once in a while you, you would get, you know, family or someone would check in and, and see how you're doing, but not really too often. And that's, you know, not to anybody's fault. I fully understand why your focus would be where it, where it's placed. I fully understand that. Um, but you know, the other partner is also there with you and trying to, uh, comfort and help you and you're a unit, you're a team, you're a group for life. <laughs> you gotta, gotta support each other. Yeah. I feel like, uh, especially with miscarriage, unfortunately, even as a couple, as a whole, people don't often realize if they've, especially if they've never experienced miscarriage, how much we actually do need people to check in on us and how much we do need that support and not just around the miscarriage, but even like months after, even on important days like Father's Day and Mother's Day, sometimes it is nice to have someone check in on you after loss. Like, uh, miscarriage is a lifetime grieving process. It's a lifetime loss that you never forget. And for, unfortunately, it's not treated that way with a lot of people. And so I can, hearing you say like, you know, she got support, but you feel like at times maybe you weren't checked in on is, I feel for you there. Because even as somebody who has miscarried personally, I don't feel like I get checked in on, you know, much after either. And I don't think people look at that loss the same as they do a person who they've known forever who's passed away, you know? Like, for some reason, it's put in a different box, and that's unfortunate. In that same light, can I ask how you're doing? Um, I'm, I'm doing well. I feel like I've grieved the actual loss, but the, the, the thing that's hard is that for us, it's not as easy as just trying again. You know, we have to go through a whole process that I think a lot of people, when they hear, oh, you're going to do um, an embryo transfer again, I can't wait till that month. And I'm like, yeah, but do you know how much work I have to do to get there? <laughs> you know, it's just like people tend to focus on the outcome and not really like what it truly takes to make that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that you're doing okay in the grieving process. Yeah, it definitely was very hard in the beginning. Like, I feel like anybody who I've ever heard miscarry, we all kind of, like, understand exactly what emotions each other have felt in our lives. So it's almost like we understand each other's struggle without even knowing each other, you know? And then it's a taboo topic and nobody talks about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you have any tips as a husband on how to best support your spouse? while she's actively miscarrying? Well, like I said, you have to try and get uh, get to help. Um, even if you're the person that is, you know, most often the help on a daily basis, you need to get to in a professional setting where somebody else can manage the health and, you know, well-being of, of her. Um, but in our situations, we were you know, almost exclusively at home and you just, you have to kind of prioritize what's important. And uh, if it, if that's calling an ambulance to have them come and help, if that's driving yourself to the hospital, whatever it is, it, you really need to focus in and, and try and help mentally in the process as you're going there to the hospital or wherever you're going uh, for that help. And just, you know, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. I still love you. You know, there's none of that. Um, because I know I experienced a lot of um, you're going to leave me because of this. You're going to um, you're not going to love me anymore. You know, worrying about those things. And I I know what I knew what she was saying, but it didn't register because I was like, well, that's just silly. Why would I not? You know, I'm I'm here to be a helper and a 
you know, with my profession, teaching and coaching and things, I'm here to help and guide people. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so to think that I would just leave because you, um, you know, miscarried a child is, is silly, you know, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I understand fully what she was saying in that moment. Um, I think it's really important too to like communicate to each other like, hey, this does not affect the way that I feel about you. And I feel like it helps a lot of people kind of ease their mind, no matter if you're struggling with infertility or if you have, you know, recurrent miscarriage loss. I think it's important to communicate to your partner, like, this does not change how I feel about you or our relationship at all in a negative way. I think communicating that to each other is, like, so helpful for the other person. For sure. You know, it doesn't, it's not something that defines our relationship because that was already defined years ago being that we've been together for 16 years and married for half of that you know it, it, it we're already past that stage of of having to worry about that type of um something coming up and you just just walk away and leave um it, it's it that was already defined in the past um so it, it's definitely definitely an interesting situation to be in because you really are helpless and i don't know any other way to explain it other than just being helpless you you can't do anything you can say things but it isn't going to register and matter in the moment it's just just pure helplessness it's definitely hard so after that miscarriage angela decided that she wanted you you had taken those photos and angela said that she wanted to um basically announce that you guys lost a baby on social media so how did you feel about sharing your story with others online after the miscarriage? Um, I'm, I'm kind of different than she is in that case. She likes to do makeup and all that, thing, all that type of thing online and share a lot, and I don't. I'm not a, very much into social media. I think it's good for certain things, but a lot that we're seeing nowadays, it's getting out of hand. It's getting crazy. And so I tend to shy away from it. Um, but I appreciate that for uh, her needs and her mental health that she put it out there and talked about it. And I didn't, I, I'm not reluctant, you know, feel free, share if you, if you need to. And if that helps you go for it, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's all about, you know, maybe you find that community and randomly someone says something, Hey, we have this Facebook group or we have a, uh, whatever, come and join us and we'll talk, you know, and, and it can help and you can help others. Cool. I'm all for it. I love that. Um, and, it, and it seemed to help her a lot to at least be able to share it and put it out there and talk about a taboo subject and let that taboo fall apart, hopefully over time, um, because it happens a lot. I don't remember the exact numbers. I, I wanted to say like one in four, but I can't, I don't know that that's correct. Yeah, it's one in four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and see, I almost look at that, and I think one in four is too much. Uh, one is too much, and I think that it that sounds like an epidemic to me, or you know, even a pandemic in that case. And it needs to be looked into. It need there needs to be research and more in depth understanding uh, in that in that topic instead of going, well, it's one in four. Yeah, I don't think I even knew that it was one in four before I had one. So when I found that out, I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of people. And it just seems like, but then it's like, you never hear about it. So it's like, how can it be one in four? I don't know anybody who's ever had a miscarriage, you know? Like for me, I was like, there's no way. And then one in eight struggle with infertility. I'm like, I literally, now at this point, now that I've met more people, but at the time I had, I didn't know really anyone except for I believe my aunt did but for different reasons you know what I mean so I was just like I've never heard of this before like it just seems like so many people well um, wild too in that case is that it's not talked about that much like you were saying and it just seems like it's just a you know shoulder shrug well one in four. Oh, you know okay mm-hmm. you know but we're I just feel like there isn't enough um understanding into it as to why? Which I, I can understand because each person is a, a separate entity. So what happened for you may not be what happened for this person. I get that. But there maybe there's something environmental. Maybe there's something on a bigger scale that is affecting why so many people in, say, an area of the, the country or state or city, it's occurring. 
you know, is there something going on? Yeah, especially I've always never understood that unexplained infertility can be a thing because it's like, how can, how can it be unexplained? And I believe a, th- a third of infertility cases are unexplained. And it's like, how is that even a thing? <laughs> I feel like we should be so much more advanced than that. Like we should know what's going on. And that's just crazy to me that that is not, there's no answer to that. Yeah, to me, it sounds like we're still, at least as far as this category goes, we're still, you know, back in the 1900s. We have not caught up to where we are with modern research. It's insane. It's it's really crazy. And even too with like male factor infertility, if you find out you have that, they go, well, that's it. But then when a woman finds out she has it, they have all these answers and all these tests that they can do and they can try to do things. But then when it comes to male, they're just like, yep, I guess you have to do this treatment. And it's like, how come we're not doing more research into this? Why is this happening? You know, it just seems crazy to me. Well, and that, I mean, we had a couple of them were just unexplained uh, why, why they, why it was a miscarriage. And I'm like, that sounds inexcusable to me when we have so much modern science, you can't tell me that this was the a potential cause or at least give me a myriad of options of maybe it was this, maybe it was that, but it's just, we don't know. <laughs> That's not good enough for me. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. We need more info. It's super frustrating. So can you walk us through your pregnancy loss in 2018. This is the one where um, Angela ended up having to get surgery from that loss. So could you maybe just kind of like tell us what that was like from your point of view? Sure. So that one, that was uh, obviously our most, uh, our worst one uh, because we had, I had gotten her to the hospital and my, one of my friends worked there uh, was able I was able to get with him and get a wheelchair and all these things to help her get out of the car. We went in, we sat in triage for a little bit, and I'm like, hey, do you guys realize that someone is actively bleeding and we we need help? You know, it just seemed like, oh, this person has a broken finger. Oh, well, you know, this one's ahead of you because they have whatever. Almost like they looked at it and said, well, it's a miscarriage. It's inevitable. We'll just wait. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, if you had somebody with an actively bleeding arm falling off, you're going to take them in. How is this different? But we eventually got back and, um, you know, she had to use the restroom and she went and ended up locking the door, using the restroom and had the uh, baby or delivered the baby in the bathroom, locked in there. And she's just screaming. And, and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. You know, so again, I had to prioritize it. I can't get in the door. Okay, I understand. Now I need to find somebody. I'm walking the halls trying to find somebody. Nobody's around in the hospital. And I eventually found someone. I said, hey, you need to get this door unlocked. We need a doctor or nurse or somebody to help because I'm, I can't do anything. And she didn't want me to come in because it, it was very uh, a disaster. Were you aware that she had delivered it at all? Or were you unsure of what was going on? She told me through the door um, okay. that she had, and everything was still connected um, and whatnot. And she, she said, you need to go find somebody. It was really interesting because she was very uh, clear and direct. Like, you need to go find somebody. I delivered the baby, um, and I don't want you to come in here. It's just like boom, 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 no, wow. no like wailing or no – it was just very matter-of-fact, go do these things. We need this done. Which, you know, to her credit, is quite amazing considering what happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, just very, very uh, straightforward. And I, I really admire that. That's, you know, in the face of <laughs> pure trauma, legitimately, you're, you're able to go do this, do that, do that, and just be focused. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's wild. Um, you know, we got the door open. We got everything in. Uh, I got the doctors in there. She, I'm not a hundred percent sure why they did the, did it the way that they did it, but they had to get her from there, which was just around the corner back into the room. And, you know, again, I'm sorry if it's a little too descriptive, but they were walking, had to walk and the nurse had to go behind her and hold everything behind her as she was walking, you know, and, and dripping 
blood to the thing down the wall and get into the room and they get everything taken care of there. And then at that point, our nerd or our uh, OB had come in and um, checked everything out. And we got up to a room um, upstairs for labor and delivery. Um, they took the baby upstairs and put him into a little like side room. And I didn't even know that happened. I just thought, okay, we're going to be here till she has her surgery and then we'll leave. And we, so we got up there and um, fortunately that night until the morning, we didn't have to listen to too many of the new babies arriving music because I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, exciting for them, but I didn't need to, didn't need that at that time. Um, and again, in that moment, she was just really focused and like, okay, I'm going to go and do the surgery. I'll be all right. I'll see you in a bit. You know, all that kind of thing. And it was her first surgery she's ever had and had to be, you know, put to sleep for it and all these things. And I think I recall that when she woke up, she um, had to ask the nurse, um, what if I was still there? Because again, she was thinking, well, I just, this happened and now he probably left me, you know? And like I said before, I fully understand where you're coming from, but you know, I was just there. I, I was there by myself in the room the, the whole night. And well, I mean, I guess for that hour, it felt like the whole night. Um, I just sat there in the dark in the labor and delivery room in the chair and, just had to deal with it because it was the middle of the night. I couldn't call anybody. I couldn't um, text anybody because everybody was sleeping, you know? And so I had to just sit there and feel it the whole, for that hour that she was gone, I had to sit there and feel it because I had nothing to focus on. What was going through your mind while you had to wait for her though, like to get out of surgery? Were, like, what were the thoughts that you were having? It's, it's kind of hard to really explain. It was just blank, to be honest. It was just, not really like a, you know, dead inside feeling or anything like that. It was just blank because she was being taken care of. I didn't need to worry about that. I couldn't do anything for the baby. So there wasn't anything to really think. It was just, just dead space, you know. And at that time, what was interesting in that situation is that every, every once in a while, they'd come in and ask if I wanted water, something like that. But no one came what I would have really appreciated is to have someone come in and sit and talk to me. It, you know, they said, if you need anything, let us know. And I'm like, it'd be, you know, it'd be nice if you just came, just came to me versus me having to ask for you to come to me, mm -hmm. you know? And that was, that was definitely um, interesting. But um, like I said, it was just, I guess you could say dead be behind the eyes. I was just like, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I don't know what to do in this case. Um, a little bit of a little bit of prayer, those types of things, to try and you know see if there's any answers or any 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 help that could be given there, um, which actually happened with our very first one too. Um, same same type of thing. I went to work the next day and I was out doing some field work and I just fell on my knees and I'm like, why, why? why is this happening to me, you know, of, of all people, which isn't the right question to ask, but that's what felt right. And that's the same thing in that situation in 2018. I just, you know, why does it have to be us or me or her? Why can't it just be normal? What was it like for you after, once she got out of surgery, what happened after that? Like, what was that like for you? Um, well, she came back and she was, you know, still kind of groggy with the medicine and things like that. Um, and we just kind of relaxed. They came in and checked on her a few, few more times. We stayed until the morning time. Um, and then we were able to be discharged and, um, you know, that, that time just being in the hospital, we actually, um, surprisingly were able to sleep, um, a little bit of that time. And, um, you know, we just talked a little bit and, you know, just kind of sat and held her hand and tried to make sure that she was okay but she was still in that same very matter of fact like well okay you know what's next you know just really I, it's an odd psychological thing at that at that time because you you just had a trauma and it's almost like you instead of having a bond at that point you just 
uh, instantly severed it. And you just you just went mentally and said, okay, I'm gonna block this right now. And we're gonna, we'll, we're, it's still gonna be there grief wise, but we're just in this moment, we're gonna cut that off and just focus on, I want breakfast, <laughs> I wanna go home, you know, th- that I kind think, of- Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because I think what that is is just like pure shock. And so your brain doesn't really, it can't understand what's going on. Cause I, the same exact thing happened to us um, the first time when our, when our first transfer failed to implant at all. But then when we found out we were going to miscarry, it was, it's like you didn't quite process what was going on. So you're like, okay, let's, um, I guess let's order dinner. Like, and then you just kind of don't really talk about it for a minute. And it's very like, it's like shock and it takes a minute to really sink in. So I feel like I understand what you're saying with like how the conversation was going. I feel like that's exactly how we treated each other in that moment. Yeah, for sure. And I'm a pretty cerebral person. Like I, I had psychology and it's a minor in college and things like that. So I really like to pay attention and I like people and I like to learn what they are and who they are and why. And in that moment, it was really interesting to see that because I've not, that's not normal. That's not a normal um, way that she gets. That's, it was, it was extremely abnormal. And I, it, I was like, what, what is this piece? I don't know, you know, but shock definitely makes sense. I, I, I like that thought for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I just feel like it's, I remember that exactly what you said. I'm like, that's exactly how our conversation went, where it's, you don't even know what to think and so therefore you're like your brain almost kind of wants to okay well what what would help me in this moment right now okay let's go get food it's almost like it's trying to solve a problem for you I feel like that's kind of what I how I felt afterwards where my my brain was just like okay what next you know that's how my brain really is too um in a way is a problem solver and a helper and a leader that's my that's my brain so when something's wrong i want to fix it i want to help but in that situation what am i going to do again put into that feeling of as as the spouse being useless uh, there's nothing i can say nothing i can do i can't buy you enough candy bars i can't you know just there's nothing i can do yeah i feel like you are explaining it the exact same way that my husband has when we've you know, discussed how he felt. It's like he says the word is hopeless, is helpless, not hopeless, sorry, helpless, because there's truly, I mean, yeah, what can anybody do for anyone in that moment? So Angela mentioned that you named the baby Owen. Was there any special reason for that? Or was that just like when you, what came to your mind first? About uh, Owen names for some, for whatever reason, I'm not 100% sure, but um, we had always talked about those uh, being options. And I'm being uh, a little, or having Irish heritage and things like that, I wanted something that was somewhat close, but something that was a little easier to pronounce for a substitute teacher (laughs) versus the original Irish or Gaelic spelling of Owen. Um, So we chose that because it's as close as we could get to uh, Irish name. Um, and then his middle name is actually the same as mine and the same as my dad's. Um, and I wanted to keep that going as well. Um, because I thought that was a nice, important little tribute to, to all of us. If we weren't juniors, we're at least bonded that way also. Yeah, I like that. Um, so what was it like for you to leave the hospital after going through all of that? Well, that, that time was... It was really kind of um, surreal in a way because there was a lot of unexpected things that I didn't know were going to come with that. Like they gave us a um, big box of just stuff. And I, and there was a, a foundation that had sent uh, or that does this uh, frequently for um, people that come in with losses and they donated, they donate teddy bears and, and, you know, lavender teas and and just a box full of um, nice things. Uh, we have a teddy bear that um, they that was in there, and it's just it was a nice collection of things so that you're not leaving the hospital empty-handed. And that was the point of the foundation was to make sure that if you went to the hospital and you delivered, that 
if it was a miscarriage, no one left it empty-handed. And I thought that was really cool. It was very unexpected. Um, she may have known about that in, at the time, but I was like, oh my God, this is this is cool. This is really nice. But it was a quiet, quiet car ride home um, for sure. And then for a little bit, it was kind of not really tiptoeing around, but it was more like, you know, what do you need? Um, how can I help you? Okay, you just want to sit in bed. Okay, <laughs> you know, I, I would, in that situation, I would rather go out and do things and distract and like, hey, let's go to the park. Let's go and do something to take our mind off as much as we can and do something else. You know, go play pup. I don't know. Just do something that's fun. Um, but that wasn't happening at all for sure because it was definitely a hard time. So I want to back it up a little bit. How often were you able to see Owen? Because I feel like Angela did mention that you were able to go see him. When I had mentioned that earlier, they had um, taken him and put him into a little basket or a little bassinet of, of sorts. And they had a nice little blanket and they put a little hat on him and they had him in the, the nursery room. And he was the only one in there. And they had a little nice little light. And, you know, he was just in his own little space. And we could go anytime all night long. They left him right there for us to go and see all night long. And every time I went in, I held him. I cried. Um, I, I just tried to spend as much time in there. I mean, if I could recall, I'd say at least once a half an hour I was in there um, just to go and see. And, you know, I knew he wasn't moving or leaving or any of that. But I just needed that. That was my grieving process. When we got to... Part of the way through the night, I asked if she wanted to go and see him once she was back in the room, and she said no. Um, I asked a few other times, no, I don't want to. Um, so I decided to take pictures um, on my phone, uh, just nice little pictures. I took my ring off, put it with him, and all these types of things. Just took some nice pictures so that I had him, and then down the road, she could see him if she wanted to. So she wouldn't feel completely um, left out of that connection. Um, and that helped me, honestly, by the time I left the hospital or by the time that we both, uh, left the hospital, uh, I wasn't crying. I wasn't sad anymore. I wasn't, um, I wasn't down at all. I was kind of like, okay, well, we've done what we can do. And I was able to spend time with them. Um, and I, and I felt like that was enough. That was, that was good enough and the most that I could have. Cause once we left the hospital, we were going into the, the next stages of, you know, burial cremation types of things. And I knew that was the last time I'd see him and that, but that was okay. Cause I had spent all night going to see him. I'm really glad that they let you go see him as much as you wanted. I feel like that definitely had to be super helpful for you to accept the loss and to start processing everything. Um, I will say probably the most heartbreaking part of my interview with Angela was when she said that one of her biggest regrets was not seeing Owen. How does that make you feel? Have you guys been able to talk about that a lot? Um, we did. Um, and actually, I believe within uh, three or four days, she asked me to see the pictures. Um and that shocked me because I thought, you know, this is going to be a year, two years, somewhere down the road, she'll ask me, can I see him? But it was three or four days, like I said, and, and I was like, okay, I, I don't know if you're ready for that. I don't, you know, but if you're asking, sure. And we, we never really, we didn't really talk about it because it's, it already happened. We can't go back and, and be in that situation. And now you can go in and see him. We, we can't take that time back. Um, and that's why I took the pictures. I took them for her to be able to see and have um, down the road. And, um, you know, I can understand. Um, I would probably feel pretty bad if I didn't go and see them um, because then I would have had to deal with the grief on my own because I didn't do it the way that I did. How do you feel like you've been able to help comfort her with that decision because I feel like that had to be really hard for you know a hard decision for her to make but I'm I'm assuming she made the right decision for herself in that moment 
but it is hard to like look back and think, oh, I wish I did this. But do you feel like you were able to comfort her in any way? Um, I think the the most comfort that I had was the pictures that I took. If I didn't do that, I feel like her level of frust or sadness and and perhaps depression around it may have been deeper. And and I think just being able to simply have a, have the pictures to see um, lessened that and perhaps decreased how deep the grief was. Even though you felt it physically and mentally, I'm sure it helped to decrease it. Because if it did that for me in the, you know, six or seven hours that I was able to go and see him, I, I think that being able to at least be able to see pictures helped quite a bit. But as far as being able to comfort, um, I didn't know how. It, it's It's hard to comfort in that moment because I don't know what to say. You know, I, I could have said, you know, I could have just been a, a little rude and said, well, you know, you're lost. <laughs> but I'm not, obviously, I'm not that cold hearted. So I'm not going to say that. But that, I mean, that's what it feels like when people say, well, just try again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, as far as being able to do that, there wasn't much I could do. I really think the pictures were the only thing I could do in that time. I think that's great that you thought to do that just in general, because I agree. I, I bet you that the fact that she was even able to see a photo, that probably was like so much more helpful than you probably even thought that it would be for her. So I think that's great that you did that. As though who may have listened to Angela's episode know, you have suffered a total of four losses. How have those taken a toll on you as a father? Well, they make me, they make me sad because I, I know, you know, just thinking of how old each one would be where we are currently today. Um, and then being, you know, at, at uh, elementary school and teaching, our oldest one would be just starting into that. And I'm like, these kids that I see on a daily basis would be mine, would, would be where our oldest would be. And it just, it's, it's nice that I have that outlet to see other kids that are that same age, because that makes me happy. And being around the kids makes me happy. And that's, if I, I feel like if I didn't have, if I wasn't doing the jobs that I currently do with coaching and, and teaching, it would be extremely hard because I wouldn't have an outlet to see joy and happiness where we should be also seeing it daily at home with our own. Um, and that, I mean, that's, it's hard because I want my own uh, kids and you know, there are options with surrogacy and adoption and things like that. I just, I want to get to having our own because I want to be able to share the love that I have with someone else and, and teach them how to play tennis and, and teach them how to drive a car when they're old enough. And just all of the little life things, that's what I, where I want. I, I want that so badly. Um, and I know that she does as well. Um, you know, she's going to be a great mom when we get to that point, um, when that, when that comes and she may not, she may not think it or, or may get annoyed with other, other people's kids and stuff, but when it's our own, she's going to be a great mom. And I really look forward to seeing, seeing her grow in that way. So I want to ask you since Father's Day is coming up, what does Father's Day mean to you? I would say Father's Day to me, uh, is a, it's, it's kind of a weird situation because usually guys don't show emotion. It's, you know, just kind of been history that we just kind of, you know, take it on the chin and keep on moving and type of thing. So we don't really show emotion. But with Father's Day, I think it's important that you show love to your dad and uh, to others that are parents, but like in our situation, have lost kids. They're still fathers, too. And they need to have that same love. And it doesn't have to be goods or things or food or whatever just say hey you know you're a good dad you know just simply simply that you know you were there for as long as you could be um and i think that's that's important you know you are a good dad even just simply reaching out to someone who you know has lost a child on father's day could be so helpful and it can mean so much to them and you know, other people may not even understand, like, why would that even be a big deal? Because it is. It's like, thank you for acknowledging the time, the, the small time that I had to be a dad, I think is like, 
it's so helpful and, and honestly like I think it would make someone's day if they had suffered loss you know yeah for sure I agree it's you know it's the same as if you reached out to your um, grandparent that may have uh, dementia or Alzheimer's and they don't even remember a, a day from a day and you just say you know hey I love you happy Father's Day they'll they'll be excited you know they're gonna show some excitement and happiness in that moment and that's the same uh, when you've gone through loss uh, just the same as if you have kids you know on on this earth yeah exactly so before we go is there anything that maybe I didn't bring up for you or anything that you'd like to discuss at all about this topic and what it's like from your point of view um one one thing that's interesting um, I'm a I tend to be a very like I like I like presentations of things I like um, doing something nice uh, for people and uh, for Owen and for all of our kids uh, I decided that well I guess we kind of did because we've had a tradition of collecting rubber ducks from wherever we go uh, on our travels you know around the country or whatever and I had we had talked about it and we kind of decided that uh, we wanted to, on Owen's birthday, we wanted to do a dedication to all of our kids that same day, even though they were different times of the year. Um, and we wanted to uh, go somewhere, so, say to, we've gone to Port Austin, we've gone to several different places to go and, and uh, we'll write his name on the bottom of the duck and we'll just let it go wherever wherever we're at we don't necessarily broadcast you know hey we're there we're here whatever but that is my that is my personal way of showing a nice or having a nice tradition and being able to do it each year makes me happy and it brings me joy and kind of makes me you know get choked up because i like i just i feel like it's the least i can do to show some type of remembrance you know, and then we might go and have, come home and have cake or something and, uh, you know, have a little small birthday party. Um, because it's important to remember as much as you can, you know, with life getting caught up and being busy and things, it's definitely nice to remember. Yeah, I like that you guys do that. I feel like that definitely, that has to be really helpful for the two of you as a way to continue processing that grief and kind of like a nice way to remember your, the, all of the babies that you guys have lost. So I, I really like that. And I think it's also a really unique idea. I've never heard that before. So I think that's cool that you guys have something really special. Yeah. And we, and, but in recent years, I would say maybe the last year or two, some people have said, why would you want to keep going back to that grief? Why not just move on? And I'm, I'm like, well, to me, it's not grief. It's a celebration. So I don't see it the same way that you do. I see it as a nice birthday thing that we do and it makes me happy and, and makes us happy because we, we will do it together. I just love it. I don't know. It's just a nice, simple little thing, you know, perhaps polluting. I don't know, but I'm sure a kid will find the rubber duck on the beach and be happy. And that that's cool because then it's a gift that keeps giving. Yeah. Um, and I like that. Um one of the other things too, with uh, you know, not that we really want to get into pandemic and all that kind of stuff, but last year was our most recent that we had lost at the beginning of March, or sort sometime there in March, um, soon after everything shut down. I think it might have been even two weeks. I had lost at that point all of my support because the kids at school and my tennis team are my support system or a uh, distraction to, okay, I'm going to put energy into this now and I don't need to worry and think about that anymore for right now. And I lost that because the school closed and the team shut down and then we had to be locked in our houses and I almost lost my mind. I almost had mental breakdowns because, and, and that is not normal for me. I'm very mentally strong in that way. Um, but I had nobody, you know, the most I could do was go to the grocery store and just be around people. I need to be around people. And, you know, Angela was fine with being home and, and having private time to grieve and things like that. But I needed those things. And 
that was hard. That was definitely a, a challenge at that time when we lost our most recent. Um, you know, we just, again, it, it took me back to 2018 where I was just sitting in the room by myself, had to deal with it. Now I was locked in my house with her, <laughs> but that didn't, it felt the same. It was still, she went to, actually, that was probably worse because she went to the hospital that, that morning and because of COVID, they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> so yeah. I was home thinking, okay, what do I do? You know, again, it's early in the morning. I can't call anybody. I can't text anybody. So I was just pacing and just back and forth. I can't, now I'm really helpless. I cannot do anything. Um, and I think she had mentioned when you guys had spoke about uh, that we had, a, I had a friend that worked there again, that helped and was able to get me in. Um, and our doctor was a, was a family friend. Um, one of my athletes' parents, she was very helpful. And she came in and it was so hard because she wanted to give us hugs. She really wanted to, she was crying, we were crying. She wanted, she wanted this for us. We were doing a different treatment and everything was working pretty well. And she didn't know why this happened. And she just wanted to give us a hug and couldn't because of COVID. <laughs> and that was tough. That was, that was really, really hard for both of us as well. Um, but I'm very proud of, very proud of her, really proud of Angela, how she is able to persevere and, and make it through what we have. And we've, it's not even, not even come close to putting a fracture in the foundation that we have together as a, as a family. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling when situations and traumatic events like this can actually bring a couple closer. I think a lot of people would be surprised to find that it actually a lot from every person that I've ever spoken with. You know, is it smooth sailing the whole time? No, but I feel like pretty much every person I've talked to about this subject who's married and going through this have said, like, this actually has brought us a lot closer in it. So to me, it's so surprising to see that, but great to see that. I would agree. And sadly, I think the reason that occurs is because it's it's a trauma bond. You know, mm -hmm. you you had this thing happen that you're both going through and you're linked by it for life. You you have this memory together and it's always going to be there. You know, you're always going to have that together. Same as your wedding, same as when you first met, you're always going to have these things together. And I really think that's what it comes down to. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and kind of share your perspective. I I wish that I heard more from more men going through this because it it does seem like it's mostly women sharing their stories and not often do I hear aside from, you know, the only person whose side I've ever heard it from is my husband. <laughs> so it's nice to hear your perspective. You guys seem to have a lot of the same feelings about this, you know, and you seem to have a lot of the same opinions on everything, and, but it's it's nice to just let you, you know, share your side of this with everybody. Yeah, I very much appreciate it. You know, I, I like I had mentioned, I want to share because it doesn't happen. And, you know, I, I just, I feel like the, the talking, you know, from my perspective or from the guy's perspective in the, in a relationship is, is important and it needs to be done more shared more um you know maybe down the road we could get to books being written and blogs being done and whatever it may be but i think it's still you know like i said even with the medical field we're still in the 1900s we're still it's a very don't talk about that don't cry don't don't show that you're weak you know type of setting and i hope that that can change and i hope that you know, I can at least help someone out there uh, that may be struggling currently with it or has in the past um, to better help their partner and perhaps better help themselves. And I'd be fully willing to talk to anybody if they needed, just needed an outlet, because I know I didn't have too many. And I would love to be that, you know, if someone needs, you know, someone needs that. I Yeah, I definitely think that would be so helpful. I think, too, like, you know, women tend to share a lot on social media and men tend to like 
be a little bit more quiet about that subject. So, you know, there probably is a lot of men out there struggling who want to talk about it, but they don't really know how because maybe they don't know how to be open about it or who to come to. So I think the more men who start sharing their story, hopefully we can start a bigger conversation. Well, you guys, that is it for Mike's interview. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on and taking the time to share your story on fatherhood and exploring miscarriage, Father's Day, and everything in between. So again, thank you, Mike, so much for coming on. And as always, if you would like to come on and share your story on infertility, pregnancy loss, or anything in between that area, you can email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and I will see you guys in the next episode.